Theo Wellington is a graduate from Case Western Reserve University with a Bachelor of Science in Astro Astronomy. She joined the Barnard Seifert Astronomical Society in 2003 and worked at the Sedecum Planetarium for 11 years and is a volunteer with the NASA JPL Solar System Ambassador Program. She lives in Kudalitz, I can never pronounce it. Um, she lives north of Nashville. Um, so I'm no longer in Nashville or close to, I was at, the, at Summertown, Tennessee. Now I'm, I'm in Houston, so I didn't get to see the eclipse or, or see the hoopla about it. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys experienced on August 21st uh, this year, 2017? Well, I had a pretty good time. I was actually in Bowling Green, Kentucky for the eclipse at Western uh, Kentucky University. I've been part of a project where we invited students from schools that were outside the path of totality to come down and experience it at the football stadium. So it was a lot of fun to do that and to have that experience. We had a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, and I had never seen a total eclipse before, so it was really interesting to watch uh, how it was different and when it became really different than just seeing a partial eclipse. So when you say you, you brought in students, uh, what kind of equipment do you need to have so the kids don't look at it directly? And is it really true that you can go blind if you do that? Uh, what we had is we had uh, solar viewers uh, for every student that came, and we actually had distributed them to school districts uh, throughout that part of Kentucky. Um, they're made, they're filters that are made that make it safe to actually look at the sun anytime. But at totality itself, if you are within the place where the moon completely covers the sun, uh, that you don't need anything for because now you're looking at the moon and not the sun. So at totality, you look at it directly, and then when it, the sun peeks back around, then you have to use the filter again. I think uh, for the U.S. overall, there was actually remarkably little incidence of any eye damage. Well, that was another question I had is... Uh... Is there people really getting hurt by it, and how did it affect the animals of the area? Uh, where we were, it was hard to say, because in the middle of a college campus, there's not a whole lot of animal life. Uh, people that were where you could hear them said you could hear the difference when the daytime cicadas kind of quieted down, and then the nighttime katydids and crickets started up. And so there was a definite change in the sound. Um, I, I'll be interested to see what the observations, I know they were uh, looking at the National Zoo, for example, and how the animals behaved. Well, it was reported to me that um, the um, flamingos all uh, huddled together. Uh, is, is there an idea within the natural realm where they're, like, scared of it? Um, it's hard to say. For most animals, it's just a bit confusing because it's, it's getting dark, which, you know, normally takes a while, but this is just a much quicker dark than, you know, what you normally get, and then it turns right back around and gets light again. So most animals just kind of say, oh, well, gee, it's getting dark. I guess I should go to the barn, go lay down, and then, you know, all of a sudden it, it just reverses itself, so... It's more confusion than, than anything else on their part. And uh, how did the ancient, ancient people uh, relate to 
solar eclipses and and especially I know that um a complete one it is you know it's hard to track because it's only in certain areas and usually in rural areas but do we have any um historical data on the significance of of something like this in other cultures um generally speaking omens in the sky were always you know things that were weird were always omens of some kind and uh people liked the ability to predict things just because that made it seem like it was more under your control whereas when things just happen you know randomly that's just never think seen as a good thing um It wasn't, though, until people were keeping written records that you could even have a stab at having a guess that one might be about to happen. Because for any one place on Earth, the average between eclipses is 375 years. So one would happen, and then not in anybody's lifetime for a long time. So it would always be a surprise. But once folks started keeping records and talking about it, you know, there are always lots of ideas. Um... I think the Korean uh, myth was that there were, and in a lot of Asia, actually, there was either a dragon or something eating the sun. And so the tradition was to go out and bang things together to scare off whatever it was that was eating the sun. And, of course, that always worked. Um, so there were lots of different fun ideas and traditions about what to do. Uh, but about the time of the Babylonians, they could keep well enough track And they started understanding geometry enough to know they could watch the lunar eclipses, which are much more frequent, and that gave them an idea that there's there are patterns to these that you know they will recur at certain times, and uh, people started thinking about predicting them. So, what is the difference between a, a total solar eclipse and a total lunar eclipse? So they're, they're a reflection of, in a way, the same thing. All of us throw shadows in space. You know, they're, the sun shines, and so directly opposite the Earth and Moon, we have a big, long shadow in space. It's pretty easy. The Earth has a pretty big shadow, so every now and then the Moon at full runs into it. And that's a fun thing to watch. Over the course of about three hours, the Moon enters the Earth's shadow, hangs out in it for, you know, between a half an hour and an hour's time, and then slowly reemerges. On the flip side of that, the moon has a much smaller shadow. By the time it got to Earth for this eclipse, it was only 70 miles wide. And so during a, a solar eclipse, you're standing under the shadow of the moon. So it's, it's really just, you know, the geometry of the situation. But because we don't orbit in the same plane, Uh, the Earth-Sun orbit's a little different than the Moon's orbit, which is tilted a bit. Every month, we don't get an eclipse. It's only when uh, the Moon gets to either new or full at the same point that it's hitting the line between the Earth and Sun. And then, uh, so the the shadow uh, produced by that is called the umbra. And, um, and again, does it affect anything? Like, um, is there a, an an effect on to the climate or anything that is perceivable or is it just um, just a shadow the temperature i mean it was it was a hot summer day and a lot of people reported temperature drops of 10 and 15 degrees um, you've just taken away some of the typical daytime heating that drives our clouds in the summer 
So a lot of people noticed that actually as you got uh, towards totality that the clouds were not building the way they normally do, which was good. Uh, that gave us some breaks to see it. But uh, So, yeah, you had the temperature drop. You had some wind uh, shift, and most people noticed that it actually got less windy right then. But uh, So that was kind of fun. And there were projects to, uh, for citizen scientists to monitor that, to report in what they saw, how much of a temperature drop they, they did. Uh, I know in Kentucky they had a uh, they have a statewide network of reporting stations, so I'm going to be interested to go and, and pull the records and see what it was like, actually. It just was really nice because all of a sudden you noticed you weren't sweating anymore. <laughs> was there any other particular experiments that you did with the kids um, in relation to the eclipse? Um, what we did for them uh, while we're, because it's kind of slow, uh, the first time you notice the moon uh, starting to creep across the face of the sun, it's still going to be 80 minutes until totality after that. So to entertain the kids and, and to try to give them a good science lesson while they're there, we did some scale activities. One of the things that our textbooks are terrible at is showing us the relationships between our size and distance from one another and because uh, everything gets squished onto a page. And so people have no good idea about how big the Earth and Sun are and the Moon relation to each other and then what our actual uh, distance in space is. So we had the kids come out on the field and we had, you know, some scale models. So we scaled distances. Um, we did a scale model solar system. Uh, we did a little thing where we modeled what the speed of light was with the kids running. So we tried to do some things that, that were engaging to them as well as, you know, teaching them something while they're there. And uh, there is actually a short video clip online. Uh, we were live with uh, timeanddate.com uh, at Totality, and so I, they had, there was an open mic, and you can watch it get dark in the stadium and actually hear the kids screaming, which was kind of fun. So why is it important to keep an eye on the sky, um was there a lot of people that were kind of just about their day and didn't really uh, care for this, or was this a, a very well-watched uh, um, event throughout the area that it covered? Oh, I think it was pretty well-watched. Um, I'll be interested, too, to see what, you know, final total numbers were, but uh, we had a huge number of people, even in Bowling Green, and, uh, of course, traffic was, was fun and exciting, not so much coming in. It's kind of like the fireworks where people dribble in over time, but then everybody wants to leave once it's over. So we had a lot of people from uh, north of us in Ohio and things like that come down to Kentucky. So I-65 northbound was pretty full leaving. So, yeah, we had a tremendous number of people. Um, the, the biggest debate with the schools was whether or not to be in session. And... Uh, there were some schools that chose to be out of session. They were worried about traffic. And then they were worried about their liability with the kids because they were so afraid that somebody would look at the sun and, and damage their eyes. Truthfully, you have to stare at the sun intentionally. And most of us can't do that while it's bright. And once you've given the kids, the viewers, and taught them how to use them, 
nobody really wants to look up and, and have to painfully try to squint. So I've done lots and lots of events where we've had solar viewing, and as far as I know, no one has ever had eye damage. Um, like I said, nationwide, there was very little report, so people did a good job of heeding the safety warnings and uh, using solar glasses or just looking at it indirectly. Um, we had, uh, you know, things like colanders and things like that. You can you could interlace your fingers and see the partially eclipsed sun as the sunlight went through your, the little holes you would make. It, it's really fun, all the different ways you can safely look at the sun. So it was a good day. It was a fun day. And I think it's a day that, that a lot of people will remember. It's, to see the sun completely blocked by the moon is a very special thing. You know, some comedians were saying that uh, the president looked straight at the sun. Was he doing it with the glasses or not? Did you hear that report? Uh, I, I saw the picture. Um, he should not have been doing that. <laughs> the, the best thing I can tell you is all of us have looked at the sun, and you can get away with squinting. And as long as you're not forcing yourself to focus on the sun, you're really unlikely to do much damage. Um, and he's of an age that his eyes, you know, who knows how good his vision is anymore. But uh, he should not have been doing that. He was setting a bad example. So the next one will be when? Uh, for the United States, uh, 2024. And uh, Texas would not be a bad place to be at that point. It says that in 2019 there's going to be one in southern Argentina and Chile? Yes. I would like to do that one. But that's a... On average, there are two a year. It's, I forget what the exact spacing is. They're not always uh, total. But, yeah, the next total is in uh, across the South Pacific. There are some cruises to it. Um, and, yeah, people are already looking at booking uh, places. And, you know, it used to be, I think, there were not so many people that chased, and we may have just created a whole lot more people that are going to try to do that. But, yeah, and then there's 2020 in Argentina, I think, is the better place for that one. And then uh, there's a few. And some people are crazy enough to chase the annulars where the moon doesn't quite cover the sun. And we have one of those in the United States in 2023, right before the 2024, so that could be fun, too. So how long did it take? Because uh, when I was looking at the videos online, they were like three-hour-long videos. So is that, is that how long it took for it to happen? From the first uh, time you, you see the moon crossing the sun till it's all the way back off, yep. But the part in the middle, where, if you're in totality, the part where it's totally covering the sun was at best two minutes and 40 seconds. And so for us at the stadium in western Kentucky, we were close to the edge. We only had 50 seconds of totality. So it was very short, very fun. At my house where there was a good party and about 30 people, uh, two minutes and 30 seconds. Is there um, any other project or um, natural phenomena coming up that um, you would like to share with our audience? Oh, that's a good question. We will get a total lunar eclipse in 2019, uh, January, so you'll have to bundle up for that one. 
Golly, the next kind of exciting event, although it's not really something to look up for, uh, next week, September 15th, the spacecraft Cassini will make its last orbit and plunge into Saturn. And that's kind of a sad day because it sent back so many wonderful pictures over the years and done so much good work. But it's at the end of its life, and uh, so we decided just to uh, run it into Saturn, get some last data out of it. Um, wow, I'm sure there must be some cool things. I just haven't been able to refocus yet. Um, but yeah, so 2019 will have a total lunar eclipse. We're getting into a time frame when um, over the next couple of years, Jupiter and Saturn will be in the sky at the same time. And so that's going to allow us, when we can get the rest of the planets around, to have a few opportunities, I think, coming up in a few years here for seeing all five of the planets in the sky together at the same time, which is kind of a fun thing. Um, next year's Perseid meteor shower should be a better one. I think we'll have uh, the moon out of the way for that. So always a good time and always good if you can get out under a good dark sky. Well, I'm going to throw a couple of curveballs at you, and uh, please bear with me. So... Uh, there's another podcast, and I won't mention the name. They were talking about some special as astrological thing. I know it's not your forte. I know we're talking about astronomy, but they're claiming that on September 23rd, Virgo is going to uh, hit Saturn, and that Saturn being the giant um, planet. I thought is it Saturn or Jupiter who's is the biggest planet? Uh, Jupiter is the largest planet. Okay, so they're saying that Jupiter and Virgo and that there's going to be some apocalyptic thing and that has nothing to do with, with you guys, right? Like there's, there's, because that's the thing is like they, they'll bring up these, these subjects and I know astrology is its own thing, but they talk about it as like this worldwide phenomenon and in, in the natural world it doesn't really have any impact, right? No, I mean the stars that form the backdrop for the, the path of the planets are, you know, trillions and trillions of miles away. Um, Virgo is an almost invisible constellation for an awful lot of people because it only has one actually bright star, so it's actually difficult to see in almost everyone's sky these days. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, they don't really impact each other. Um, and even Jupiter itself doesn't really have any impact on, on us, except that it's really cool to watch um, and, and to look at because it is the biggest planet. And uh, and so it's easy to see. It's easy to watch the moons go around it. Um, but, yeah, I heard somebody else, and I don't know. I haven't had a chance to go look it up online yet. Somebody was uh, talking about some letters from NASA that they had purportedly seen, and I said, no, that's you know, just some fun internet stuff. I'm not clear why everybody wants the end of the world, but <laughs> it's always a popular topic. Um, but no, no, no apocalypse. Well, a cool image that uh, that could be misconstrued that that I saw of the eclipse is where you can see the space station passing through it. Ah, uh, you could. It was over the sun, yeah, and those are. Those were wonderfully dedicated people. I had actually checked to make sure that we wouldn't see that where we were. You had to put yourself in a, in a particular place 
um, it's not hard to, to do that. Well, normally I get, okay, I'm a little bit of a science geek, so I get an email if that's going to happen at my location. If from my backyard I can watch the station cross the sun or the moon, either one, I get an email about that. And so I knew people would be looking for that during the eclipse. So there was some place in Wyoming that you could go that the station crossed the sun. And obviously that's during the partial phase of the eclipse. So it was pretty cool that they got that. Well, then, you know, they could say it was a spaceship or whatever, but uh, you could tell that it didn't look like a typical UFO. No, you can actually see the, the solar arrays. People's cameras are pretty good. Um, there are a few people that, that um, almost have it to a science, and they can track it so well while they're doing the video that they can, you can see the little blocks, the astronaut out working if they're doing a spacewalk while it's going over. It's ridiculous. So there are some really talented photographers out there. Well, there goes the flat earth conspiracy right there. Um, the other thing, and I don't know if we talked about it during the last show, um, we had a show where we were talking about fake news and how uh, a lot of information gets misconstrued in the, in the politics of it. And our guest mentioned, uh, well, I asked him about climate change. And, you know, we just uh, survived the what everybody's been calling the, the largest tropical storm in U.S. history, and, and it didn't impact me as much as other people, so I have a hard time measuring it. But uh, they're saying that they're intensifying and that the next Irma is going to be pretty powerful. Um, what has been your experience from the research on that part? Is there any um, consistent data that, that we can look at, or is it pretty much up to uh, interpretation uh, can you really uh, connect uh, those type of weather um, natural disasters with uh, human um, pollution and, and involvement with affecting the climate? Or uh, in your field, uh, how, how do you guys um, get involved with that or, or learn about that in, in your uh, experiments and what you're researching? Um, the most difficult thing about climate change is that it's not something that, you know, the weather being what it is, it shifts around so much. So you're looking for, in a, in a particular spot, small shifts in the overall pattern. It's globally that you notice it. And so not every place is heating evenly. Um, so it's, it's really hard to notice in a lot of places. I would say in Nashville, for example, it's almost impossible to see it. But if you look at global data, and again, that's what your spacecraft especially do well for you, what you see is um, the polar ice caps year over year are shrinking. There's not as much ice. Um, people are starting to seriously now think about doing shipping across the poles so that's one reason why uh, China's getting more aggressive in a lot of ways, because they're going to start running shipping uh, lanes now across the North Pole on a regular basis. So you, you can see those sort of cumulative, they're small changes year over year, but they add up. And then you can watch shifts of things like insects. Um, there are, and again, most people aren't going to see this, but there are hundreds of acres, thousands of acres in the West 
that are being decimated by insects that are moving to altitudes and chewing up the pine trees that they couldn't have done in previous years. And it isn't so much that the summer is hotter, but the winter isn't as cold. And so you're seeing expansion of range of different kinds of insects. So it's these small little things that a lot of us that live in the cities are never going to see or notice, but they add up over time. Um, it's almost impossible to point to a particular storm and blame it on climate change. But, again, that's something we'll see in our rearview mirrors. You know, 50 years from now, you'll look back and you'll say, okay, here's where it kind of changed, and then since then you can see this small increase. Because we only get a few hurricanes a year, so small numbers means your statistics are not that good. But uh, will it get wetter? Maybe, at least in some places. You know, so you'll have shifts in climate, which happen naturally, but on a somewhat slower basis than what we might be forcing it. But we're dumping a huge amount of carbon dioxide into the air every year, so something will change. I tell people it's a huge science experiment that we really don't have a lot of control over, so it depends how comfortable you are with doing huge science experiments. But the planet itself in the past has been warmer, it's also been colder. Well, National, uh, excuse me, uh, National Geographic had um, a chart of all the hurricanes that happened, I guess, in the last 50 years, and it seemed like it was intensifying in the last 30 years. Um, so, you know, this is a progressive radio station, and, and Democracy Now! reports that every single weather catastrophe is somehow connected to climate change, and then you got people like Michael Moore and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and even um, the the vice president that used to uh, live in, in uh, I guess he still lives in, in Tennessee, uh, Al Gore, uh, who kind of sensationalize it in my eyes. Um, do you see that or, or is it um, up to... I do... I, I'm not sure it serves the science well for people to, you know, if you cry wolf a lot and people aren't really seeing it, um, then they stop paying attention to you over time. The, and the other hard thing is that whenever we have a disaster now, more people than ever live along the coast. I happen to be in Myrtle Beach at the moment. And you look up and down the beach, you know, at all the development that's gone on. So with each storm... There's just a whole lot more damage that can be done. And uh, so that, that doesn't help either. You're going to displace more people just every time because there are more people in the way. We're not very good at living. You know, we put ourselves places like along the shore that are going to flood. So we could do a better job of not putting ourselves in harm's way. But... but uh, I think, you know, I expect to live long enough to see how some of it starts to, to play out. Having said that, we're also, I think, doing a good job of starting to go the other way, where we're being more green, replacing as much as we can with solar power. And it's certainly within our power to do a lot to still have the things we want, but do it and do it in a renewable and sustainable way. So I'm 
you know, both recognize that change is happening, but also hopeful that we can do something uh, constructive about it. And last question. During uh, our last interview, you mentioned that your daughter had gotten involved with uh, a program with NASA. How is that going? Uh, she's doing really well. She will hopefully uh, get her uh, Ph.D. Uh, this coming year. Uh, she works uh, doing geology but on Mars. So that's been, been fun to, to watch her work on that and uh, be interesting to see what, uh, what happens as she looks for her next position. Um, of course, for that, from that, I would argue uh, hopefully that we'll continue funding for space exploration because uh, there's, there's lots to do, but, you know, that's always an easy target for when people start wanting to cut budgets. So hopefully uh, we'll have a lot of people, and that was part of the Eclipse uh, thing, too. We wanted to raise the awareness of, hey, there's lots of cool science out there to be done, and, and uh, you kids should want to do that. Um. I thought that the current administration supports NASA and that they were trying to, like, contrast themselves from the previous administration, but uh, has, so far has it been just talk or have they done anything to support um, that type of research? It's hard to say. Um, I think we just had a new head of NASA appointed that didn't really thrill a lot of people because even though he's a former fighter pilot, um, he's, I guess, known for, for being kind of skeptical on climate change. And since a lot of what NASA does is study the climate, uh, they're not sure how that's going to work out. But, um, but there's a lot going on in the private industry, too, with, as far as, you know, space vehicles and, and things like that. But maybe that'll take up some of the slack. But, uh, yeah, just to get uh, people elected that, that are both science aware and, and have some idea about how things actually work, because we do have a lot of people in Congress who, who uh, a lot of them are lawyers, and lawyers really don't have a lot of science in their background. So we would hope for some, some people to get elected that might have some idea about science. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate your time and uh, keep us updated on, on developments of things that are happening. Um, hopefully there won't be a, a cataclysmic, um, apocalyptic uh, disaster on September 23rd, and we can talk about how foolish it is to, to keep pushing for that. But um, who knows, maybe we can... Uh, good. If you have If you have any listeners that are, that are in the northern part of the United States, um, the next uh, couple of nights could be good for Aurora. So that would be something fun to look for if, if you're Wisconsin, Michigan, up in that area. Okay, so it's gonna, this show is going to be played next Wednesday at noon, so will there still be time for them to see them next week? Maybe, but the sun like it was a good explosion the other day, and that should get here over the next couple of days, so... Any clear night, I'd be outside looking up. Well, thank you so much. Um, talk to you soon.